This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, February 18th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. In many states, you meet the requirements to be a licensed attorney, and then you get to practice law. In Wisconsin, however, you're also forced to be a member of the state's integrated bar. And in Wisconsin, the integrated bar is a lobbying powerhouse. So how does a lawyer get out of the requirement that they fund political speech that they don't like? The Cato Institute has authored a brief in a case filed by Cato adjunct scholar Andrew Grossman. The case is Jar Chow v. State Bar of Wisconsin. Cato's Trevor Burris and Andrew Grossman discuss the case. The Janus case was a case about essentially paying dues to an organization that you don't want anything to do with. In this case, a union and a public sector worker. Uh, bar associations are a little bit different. They are... Help me out here. They're worse. Are they are, they, <laughs> they are, are worse. Are, so, but to what extent are bar associations private? I mean, they have a public responsibility. Sure. So everybody agrees that the state can regulate who practices law and their ethical obligations and things of that nature. But really, a bar association, an integrated bar association, is just like a union. The way that it's integrated is it takes that regulatory function and it combines it with the sort of advocacy function that a private labor union has. And so it does both of them. But it's even worse than the type of labor union at issue in Janus, because not only do attorneys have to pay for all this speech uh, on many controversial issues, they have to actually join the group as members. In other words, they have to associate it with it quite personally. Okay. And Janice was about people who were not members, but still had to pay some portion of fees with this Abood exception, which we'll get into how that plays in now. But and it's the other thing that gives the lie to any claim that these integrated bar associations are necessary is I think it's 18 states don't have any form of, is that about right, bar dues or any form of integrated bar? It's just a licensing regime, but no advocacy organization. Right. So you have a little bit fewer than half the states where they treat lawyers like plumbers. Uh, you know, typically states, you know, license who can be a plumber, but, you know, you've never heard of somebody telling the plumbers, well, you have to join and pay dues to an advocacy group that advocates on criminal justice policy and the Second Amendment and this, that, and the other thing. Um, you know, what we're saying is states should just treat lawyers like plumbers and not force them to associate with and fund advocacy with which they disagree. Okay. So Adam Jarchow, an attorney, in Wisconsin is compelled to be a member of this integrated bar association in Wisconsin. Um, so what? Well, the problem is twofold. Uh, first of all, he's forced to be a member in what is really one of the dominant lobbying organizations in the state. Um, we're not talking about some group that occasionally engages in a little bit of advocacy. They have a Washington staff. They publish a list of policy positions on every major issue in the state. They are a lobbying powerhouse. And second, not only does he have to be a member of this group, he has to fund all of this advocacy and he disagrees with it vehemently. So this is more onerous, considerably more onerous, it seems, than Janice. Yeah, it's off it's two but $258, I think, is the is the top level bar mandatory membership. And generally, I mean I think Andrew's right that Unions, well, you expect them to have a lot of opinions about a lot of things, but even at the end of the day, Janus took away this agency fee element, which was something related to core collective bargaining, but not explicit political speech. But with the unions, I mean, they have a position on public funding of campaigns, like with the Bar Association. Like, why, why would a Bar Association have a position on whether or not campaigns should be publicly funded? And why would Adam Jarchow 
have to fund that to the tune of even a dollar. It doesn't even matter on the First Amendment principles. And the thing is that the cases that came before that either just looked at bar associations and didn't really take it as a serious First Amendment challenge, uh, a lot has changed in the First Amendment since then. And and a lot of development has happened. It says if you're compelled to be either a member or to fund something, uh, that First Amendment, at least you have to scrutinize whether or not the First Amendment allows that. Okay. Andrew Grossman, to you, what is the, what is the main argument uh, that you're presenting in this case? The argument we're presenting is that this is a plain, open, and notorious violation of the First Amendment rights of objecting attorneys who don't want to be paying for any of the speech and don't want to be associated with it. We're not saying the state can't regulate attorneys. We're saying that it can't force them to join an advocacy organization. Okay. And the Cato brief, presumably also a yes fastball down the middle <laughs> First Amendment case. Pre- precisely. And I think it's important to to note that that it is I mean, Andrew brought the case at the right time because before Janus was overruled in 2018, uh, you had one of the earlier decisions that basically based its reasoning on a case called Abood, which is the case that Janus overruled. So you pull out one of the the jinga sticks, whatever sort of support metaphor you want to have, that this whole idea that integrated bar associations don't present a First Amendment harm. And I think actually in Andrew Cove and Keller, the, they, they basically said it's not even a First Amendment harm. Like Abu at least says this is a First Amendment problem, and Keller seemed to think it wasn't even in the ballpark of First Amendment, correct? Right, because the court – so Keller is the case most recently that upheld this sort of uh, compulsory uh, association with a bar association. And in that decision, the court looked at its labor law precedents like Abood um, and said, this really – what this looks like is the type of thing that we actually allowed in Abood that doesn't really raise any type of First Amendment issue. In other words, this is really – this just goes to the heart of uh, regulating attorneys and promoting quality, the delivery of quality legal services and the administration of justice. Therefore, no First Amendment problem whatsoever. And so you, your, your argument is that they're absolutely avoiding the, the, the core issue here in this case. Well, as I said, the court in that decision, Keller, cited to Abood. Abood has since been overruled by Janus. The court recognized that it was an aberrant decision that is thoroughly at odds with all of its free speech principles that have been developed over the course of decades. It was this one outlier in the area of labor law where the court thought the First Amendment applied in a different way, and it subsequently realized, correctly, I think, that it was simply wrong about that. And so it fixed that in Janus. And what that leaves is you now have really two exceptions to the First Amendment that are still remaining. One are the integrated bar associations, and the other, arguably, although it does present somewhat different issues, are uh, student activity uh, fees uh, at public universities. And a lot of the Cato brief is sort of highlights the the obviously political nature of these integrated bars. Uh, and this this is this what makes it similar somewhat to Janus. Uh, and actually, I know Andrew had written a brief during the run-up to the Janus litigation, talking about all the political things that unions do. Like the unions were claiming, we're not using your money for political purposes, and then you find out, oh, like they actually really are. So the, similarly, this this brief focuses a lot on all the things that the unions have done or the state bar associations have done that are just obviously political, and it should be – it should be a no-brainer. I mean, it, it would be hard to imagine anyone voting for Janice who who wouldn't vote for this case. I can I could have. It would be very hard to distinguish the two. Um, so, in a, on the cert, I think it would be the same thing. 
So, you know, I think an important point to realize that part of the reason why the court uh, in Janus overruled this older case, Abood, was that it realized that trying to draw the line between political advocacy and non-advocacy, that there really was no line. You know, you had all these court cases where union members would say, hey, I'm being forced to pay for something that is not core collective bargaining. It really is just political advocacy. And the courts had to step in and adjudicate them, and they could never figure out what was allowable, what could be what people could be forced to pay and what they couldn't. Turns out the exact same thing happens in the integrated bar context. Nobody really knows what's permissible, and state bars try and squeak all kinds of stuff onto the wrong side of the line and force members to pay for it with no possibility of you know, getting a refund or anything like that. So they're forced to pay for this controversial speech. But there is one difference I would note, which is some of the speech you were talking about in Janus, this was collective bargaining type speech, like wages, benefits, that kind of stuff. It was a little bit attenuated from you know, public interest, core First Amendment speech. The court said, well, it relates to public budgets, the public fisc, that's close enough. Here, even the bar's non-controversial speech concerns the administration of justice. It's difficult to imagine a topic that is more important, that is more core and central to First Amendment rights, you know, that is a greater interest of public concern. All right. So you're waiting on the court? Uh, we have filed a cert petition. Um, we've gotten a lot of great amicus support, including from the Cato Institute and the Pacific Legal Foundation and many others. And uh, the brief and response is due next month. And so it should be you know, possibly in March uh, where we get a decision from the court whether or not they're going to hear the case. Andrew Grossman is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute and the attorney in the case of Jarchow v. Wisconsin State Bar. Trevor Burris is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>